Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me here on the uh, Talent Talk Radio Show. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host. Uh, I have uh, two great guests here today. Uh, They'll be on the show with us, and we'll get to them in just a moment. In case this is the first time that you're tuning in, the Talent Talk Radio Show features a wide range of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, company culture, and you know, just all sort of kind of exciting different topics in HR and, uh, and, and things that relate to, to people. Uh, and to talent. So in the business world, talent really has a couple different meanings. Uh, first is how it relates to, you know, that individual success, how these really talented people achieve their success. And, you know, what are those kind of cool secrets we can learn from them? And the second is how talent relates to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates for their companies. Uh, very often these, these two, uh, intersect quite a bit. We get very talented people who also are dealing with these HR challenges. Really, this show will look to really, you know, kind of dive into those two areas as, as much as we can here in an hour. And, uh, you know, along with how these talented individuals can impact a company's culture. My guests uh, kind of really range from the C-level uh, folks to HR execs, to VPs, to entrepreneurs, coaches, authors, um, you know, just about anybody we think has got something cool to say uh, in this area of talent, we'd like to have them on the show. Um, and I have the privilege of, of usually running into some of these people at different conferences or networking events. And if they seem like a really uh, together, smart, kind of inspirational person, uh, I thought, you know, hey, why not have a forum where we can uh, listen to their uh, dialogue, listen on what's happening, uh, have a conversation that all of you guys can tune into, maybe learn some practical advice about uh, cultivating talent or developing leaders, managing your culture, just something I'm always uh, fascinated about. And But most importantly, we kind of hope that you might get a tidbit out of this today, something that would impact your own career in a positive way, maybe a spark an idea, and tomorrow at that, uh, or maybe later on this afternoon at that really important meeting, you're going to have a great idea that no one thought of, because maybe we uh, kind of inspired something in your brain there today. Uh, thank you to all of you who are tuning in live. If you have a question for either of my guests today, please go ahead and submit them via Twitter. So just do... Uh, at people g2 type in your question if there's room add that hashtag talent talk um and my producer mike will feed me into the best questions and we'll try to work them into the show as time allows you know most of you actually tune in after the show has been concluded via the podcast on itunes where we have over 250,000 of you who downloaded an episode last week or um on the iheart platform which we are now syndicated with so on any device you can open up the iheart app you can Go to the website, and you can hear all our past shows there as well. And you can still send in your questions, even if it's after the fact. We're, you know, we're happy to to send them on to the uh, to the guest and get a little uh, little action on the on the Twitter going if, if that uh, sounds like fun. Uh, finally, you can also go to talenttalkradio.com, and there's lots of great resources there and uh, all the past shows. So, 
Let's go ahead and get today's show started. My uh, first guest will be Andre Pace. He's the owner of the Growth Coach. And then we'll have uh, Sean Utterback. He's the Chief Experience Officer of the Play Storming Group. So uh, let's go ahead and get to the our first guest. Andre, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, thanks, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, and what you're currently doing uh, in the area of coaching. Yeah, so uh, I'm a business coach, uh, you know, helping business owners, salespeople, um, you know, leaders really uh, achieve the, their desired results. And, you know, I do that several ways, obviously, either through group coaching or, or one-on-one, but it's all about really enhancing their leadership skills to, to really grow their business because, you know, what I've found in my experience throughout the years is that that's, that's really the key to success. If you can, you know, grow someone's skill set, they, they will develop their business the right way. Yeah, and that's um, that seems relatively uh, obvious, let's say. But this, you know, it's shocking how many people don't think of it that way, that don't approach it that way, and aren't aren't really in tune to, to kind of what you're talking about. Yeah, I know you've worked in in some positions as a regional VP, had some great opportunities there for managing and, and trying new things and motivating your employees, kind of the, the things we, we think about at that level of position. What was the final point at which you looked at your experience and, and looked at the, the need that was out there as far as coaching and development and said, you know, I'm just going to go out there and go for it. And I'm going to become a coach and go out on my own. What was that moment like? Yeah, that, that, you know, I can't say it was one moment. I, I think it was kind of this uh, over the course of time because, you know, as I, as you know, like most people, you progress in your career. And, and as I kind of gained more responsibility, I found myself really spending the majority of my time coaching the folks that I work with to, to achieve the results. And, you know, whether it be a personal issue or which relates to business or something that they just can get, can get over in, in, their, um, in their individual world, that's where I spent most of my time. And that's, quite frankly, what I love the most. And so over time, it just kind of, you know, that, that's what it, you know, drew me to doing this. And, and, you know, once I found out that, you know, I was, you know, decent at it and there's a platform for it and, and really, you know, it gave me the, the biggest fulfillment, uh, it, it was an easy decision to make. You know, sometimes I've used this example of the kind of higher up you go and the more that you're, you're in that position to help other people, what you end up doing are these very, very small, tiny little uh, adjustments. It's almost like if you had a giant, you know, machine that was cranking out the work. Instead of you going from actually running the machine, you become that person who's adding that tiny bit of oil to one little spot to make sure that the, you know, the the the, you know, the different gears are working properly. You're making a small adjustment, or you're making sure that the right people are standing in the right spots to make that machine work. And you know, so you, you go from doing these big things to these tiny little things that have such huge impacts on the organization, and that's very often what a, what a coach can deliver. Does that does that kind of does that parallel what you what you have found? Well, yes, and and, and and when you're going when it's happening to you, honestly, what you just described, it, you know, at least for me, I didn't feel it at first. I, I, I it was actually kind of a mon- mundane process early in my career where you know I looked at it as, oh, hey, I have to do this because you know I have to get the result. But you know, once at least in my case, once I matured and figured out that was that was a significant piece of the success that that not only I was going to have, but the people around me would enjoy. It became so ex- exhilarating, and, and, and you're right. It, it just it becomes these small tweaks versus this big monumental strategic platform that you think is going to move the move the needle. Well, sometimes it's just you know developing the people around you to move the needle. 
Yeah, it's almost like if you use a sports analogy, you know, the higher up you go, let's say in professional sports, the bigger sort of splash you can see, right? And if the, the, the quarterback does something great, it's all over the newspaper. But in business, it's the, the sometimes the biggest uh, impacts that some of the top executives are having are so small and subtle and understated and uh, maybe and sometimes underappreciated, but you know, they're not the big giant things that you know maybe the middle level uh, employees or managers are, are doing or that maybe your top salesperson might be doing. But you know, as a manager, we're sort of taking these little you know microscopic changes to have huge impacts. That's always kind of the way I envisioned it for a lot of companies, and which is I think too why they miss a lot of that importance, why they don't see how important some of those things can be to their organizations. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, and, and it's interesting because, you know, as I found, you know, doing what I'm doing now, um, you know, working with all types of business owners and leaders, it's while they're very good technically at what they do, they're they're so into it that they're working on those big things, and 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 for so for so many um, uh, reasons, they can't see that it's a small tweak in what they do that will grow their business just incrementally over time. So, yeah, I right. agree. Well, and it was a Gallup study that I was kind of poking out the other day, and it was done this year, and it found that em- employees who are supervised by highly engaged managers are 50 59% more likely to be engaged than those who are supervised by actively disengaged managers. Uh, there's a couple of different plays there, but what sort of your take on study and, and what was it trying to deliver? I mean, did you agree with that, or did, are you seeing something in line with that? Yeah, I, I- yeah, I, I agree with it, but I, I do have a caveat because you know I, I think the premise is spot on in terms of you know if you have a you know actively engaged leader, I mean for the most part the team surrounding them is going to be engaged. But I do believe if the culture of an organization is is so strong and 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 you know the individuals throughout the organization believe in the brand maybe more than their individual success, I do think sometimes a disengaged leader will stick out like a sore thumb and the and the people around him, him or her, will either lift that person or something else will happen. So, so I mean, because I've experienced it, I've seen that. And so, so I do think the, the premise of the statement's correct, but I've, I've also seen some exceptions to that rule. Well, what I immediately picked up on was that that's only, the engagement's only one part of the story as it comes to managers. I see a lot of organizations that really focus on their managers and then expect those managers to go back and make things right or to, you know, deliver the message or what have you with the employees. But if only 59% are really engaged because their manager is engaged, you still have a really high percentage of people that even though their manager is great and is, is in tune with the organization and loves with their job, there's still more work there to do, you know, on an individual level with your employees. You can't leave it completely up to that manager to, to deal with. Um, There's more to the story there. That was kind of what I got. Yeah, yeah, you know, fifty nine percent. You're right, fifty nine percent. You know, actually engages. That is kind of a low number. And if you look at kind of the the uh, the scene today, uh, you know, engagement is a big thing. And, and and you know, companies are are truly trying to figure out what it means to the organization. And I think there's this background noise that tells that tells all of us that highly engaged people will actually produce more, highly engaged people will care more, highly engaged people will take care of the customer, which is all true. But I think also they're struggling to put metrics next to it, which which leads you to believe that only 59% 
is is really really low if that's the case i mean if we're really trying to prove it out that's a really really low number right well certainly that word engagement was a big buzzword this year uh, and so I'm kind of wondering what the next buzzword is going to be for 2016. You, you have any ideas on, on what that might be? Yeah, you know, I don't. I, well, first thing I would say is I, I think this the, the whole engagement thing is going to have to be maintained and continue to, you know, they're going to have to continue to poke holes to figure out what it all means. I, I really believe that because I go back to what I said a second ago is, you know, productivity has to be linked to engagement some way or shape or form because, you know, putting on my operator's hat, that was kind of the big the big thing when I would talk to, you know, or still to this day when I talk to a CFO or, or someone of that level, you know, they want to see it prove out. But the reality is sometimes it's it's over time the way that proves out. So, so I think that, you know, there's still going to be a lot of work uh, being done around engagement. But also I believe that, you know, kind of going back to fundamentals from what I've seen and understood, I, I think there's got to be a real focus put back on onboarding and training you know, new people culturally so they can really engage truly into the business. Because I I think that there's still this sense of, you know, we have a training plan, we give a a new person a training plan, we hope it works out, whether that being sitting in front of a computer or they're, you know, tied to, um, you know, an an experienced individual. I, I still don't believe that companies do a good enough job of onboarding someone to really truly get them up and running, not only technically, but culturally. And I think that has to that, that lays the foundation for success of an individual in an organization. I think there's gonna have to be kind of a rewind or reboot, so to speak, to make sure that, that piece is, is being executed hundred percent. Well one of those the big challenges with onboarding is we want to make people feel really welcome. We should be there celebrating them and welcoming them with open arms and giving them everything they need to be successful and just, you know, kind of overdoing it in a sense. Uh, that's our one opportunity to get it right with those first impressions and everything. But on the flip side, everyone else who's, uh, whose job it is to do that is sort of saying, well, I want this person to prove to me that they're serious, that they are going to stick around, that they really have the skills and the, you know, uh, abilities to do the job. And yet, so then we hold back some of our affection and enthusiasm, and then there can be a disconnect between the the, the two parties. Um, Because we've all been there where we've opened arms with an employee, and then, you know, three days into it, you realize they're terrible, we made the wrong idea, we should never have hired them. So there's that constant push and pull there with how do you bring people in the right way, um, and, and yet still kind of deal with human nature, which is, you know, Prove it. Prove it to me that you're you're going to do a good job. You're gonna, you are who you say you are. That kind of stuff. A- any thoughts on how people can do a better job with that? Yeah, I, I you know, I've seen success where the process and and what that means to me is, you know, if I'm the business owner and I'm bringing on you know a, a talented person to my organization, which is for the most part what you do. You go through a process in which you interview someone and you. You know, to your point, you hope you've got the best person. But at some point in time, you have to say, I'm all in, right? I'm invested. And the leader has to set that tone. And what that means is the leader, you know, that first day that person comes in, there has to be a conversation. There has to be that welcoming. There has to be the the laying out of the expectations and and, and really kind of making sure that person feels like they're part of the team. And and I think if you extend the olive branch from the the highest level, that person will at at least have have a... this 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 feeling of wow this is this is really neat the 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 
the leader or the business owner wants me to be successful. I think that's the first step. And, and if that doesn't happen, I think you're fighting an uphill battle. So I would say that's the beginning. And then you, you go along with the process of, you know, onboarding and training and following up. But there has to be that first orientation. That has to be just a, a huge welcoming party for that individual to make sure that, that they're getting off on the right foot. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. So it seemed like the, the 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 term or the phrase that you were kind of shooting for there was fundamentals. Um, uh, you know, 2015 was the year of engagement, then maybe 2016 will be the year of fundamentals. I've been kind of uh, leaning towards HR metrics uh, or just me- measurement in general. I've been It's been coming up more and more often at conferences that I'm attending or that I'm speaking at that people are asking about measurement um and i've been shocked at how little people are actually measuring different parts of their business their staff their uh their their goals i mean just all these different areas where they could be measuring uh people in a more uh, specific way uh to really see where they're going so uh you you know we we look in sort of this evaluation and growth area for 2016 Do, do you what are your sort of thoughts on on how companies are doing this, and is this an area they should be focusing on a bit more? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a huge opportunity, and I do think companies should focus on it more. You know, you know, I, I've seen you know several organizations that you know they'll have you know kind of you know you have the operations, your profit and loss statement. And some organizations have a people statement, and, and I, I think that's I think that's the first step it, because. It, at least it draws attention to that piece of, it, of the business, and it kind of you know helps you build uh, you know that second pillar, so to speak, of whatever the organization is. And you know that that report can have anything you want on it. Obviously, turnover and you know productivity metrics. But I think it's it's something that you know, at least from my experience, I've seen it's truly, truly helpful to help the leaders across the organization as well as everyone else understand. Not only is this important. But we're going to measure what we believe in, and, and in anything you measure, what you know, build adage, what you measure, you'll you'll um, you'll make progress in. And so, I, I do believe in that concept. Now, you know, I, I do believe also that you know, a lot of organizations have to take the next step. And and you know, this is one of those fuzzy things for me again because I always go back to productivity as it relates to engagement. Um, and you have to be able to to put not really put a number on it, but at least be able to measure progress, so to speak, and, and maybe that is a number, you know, and, and maybe it's, you know, the, the longer tenured, you know, teams, you know, what's their productivity, you know, versus the, the less tenured teams, but but I do believe in the concept, and I do believe a lot of organizations have to get better better at it, because it's not just a P&L, it's more or less how you build your culture and what it means two, three, four, five years down the road in terms of hiring people and, and developing talent. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. You know, one of the other areas that we've been kind of hearing a little bit more about, and this maybe being pushed by, you know, every every year as more millennials are in the workforce, is this concept of a work-life balance. Um, how important do you see that aspect of maybe the, even from a strategic management standpoint on how this balance can really create, you know, a prosperous uh, company, the right culture, and, you know, and, and help companies really grow in the right way? Gone are the days where, you know, uh, people want to work um, 70 hours a week and not have a life and, you know, not see their families and just, you know, be dedicated to their jobs solely. Those days are long gone. You know, I lived in those days, and I can tell you that, you know, it's it's one of those things that if you do it, you're, you're in it, and that's just the way it is. And, I, you know, you can't 
in today's society with the millennials, it's just not acceptable because, you know, everyone wants to be able to um, enjoy their work, but they also want to enjoy their time away from work. And I think strategically organizations have to be able to figure out how to message it and then um, be examples and live that. And I think, again, it starts with the leadership because if, if leaders are in the, in the mode of sending emails at 8 or 9 o'clock at night or asking their folks to work, you know, uh, consistently long hours, um, it, it sends a message that not only does, you know, it questions does the organization care and, you know, am I long-term for this world? And, and I think strategically you have to be able to build, you know, an organization where people feel like it's not only a place to work, but it's a place where you enjoy going. It's a place where you enjoy leaving. And when you go back, you're fresh, you're ready to go. And, and I've always believed that if you're fresh and ready to go, it will create um, an environment where people can have, you know, better ideas and, you know, there's better perspective and, and there's always this energy around that. So, so yes, I believe strategically that has to be something that most organizations lean towards nowadays. And, you know, discount retail and traditional retails is, you know, that's, that's the world that's going to have probably the most difficult time because, you know, that's, that's kind of the stigma within that culture. Well, and, and I also see some, uh, maybe a, a slightly different version of that too, that could be existing that, it may be appropriate, and you may you may enjoy working seventy or eighty hours a week. That you may be all for that. That may be what your job is all about, and the culture in the company. But you can have work life balance by, hey, I'm going to leave from two to four o'clock because I'm going to go see my kids' game, and then I'm going to come back and do the work. And so the company can be flexible about when you do the work to give you that balance. You know, so or I may not come in until eleven o'clock in the in the you know, in the morning, but I'm going to work until 10. I mean, so it, I think if companies, and again, you said retail, there might be certain jobs, but that's just not possible. If you're working on an assembly line, that's just not possible. But if you're in these different kind of service-based jobs or you're in management, you're in customer services types of things, there are sometimes opportunities for companies to be more flexible about when you do your work instead of making everyone sit in a cubicle at the exact same time in order to be, so they can monitor you or, or whatever it may be, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and I think some organizations are starting to. You're seeing this this kind of um, transition to you know a lot of organizations are you know letting people office out of the home. You know that that's a good example of that. You know in the past that wasn't at least you know from what I've seen that wasn't you know even uh, an opportunity. And so so I do think you know organizations are starting to kind of get the you know have an understanding now that those things are important. Those things are vitally important, and and having that you know kind of give and take is what you're talking about i i do think that's that's very viable yeah well we're almost out of time so i want to make sure that uh, we ask you one of our favorite questions which is is there a book you're reading right now that you can tell us about yeah you know it's funny i i'm a i'm a youth sports fan and a lot of things that i you know when i i grew up you know playing sports and coach my kids and you know i use a lot of the methods and coaching you know the folks i work with and and every about this time of year i usually read the same book and it's called a coach's life and it's it's about dean smith the legendary um unc basketball coach i you know grew up in north carolina and when you grew up there you either a duke or carolina fan and i chose carolina and i've I've just he's he's one of my favorite you know not just coaches but leaders not just because of you know building a traditional basketball program that's been 
you know, great for years, but the way he did it with integrity and, and developing those kids to where they still, you know, contacted him and were part of his life until he passed away a year ago. And so I read this book about this time every year with college basketball season going on. It helps me, you know, kind of ground myself in making sure that I'm, you know, staying true to the values that I believe in. So it's a really good read. Sounds like a great book to check out. And just as a reminder, we'll have that on our blog on peopleg2.com slash blog. And you can read all the past uh, recaps of guests we've had on and all their books and how to get a hold of them. We always have everything listed there. Which leads me to our last and final question here is how can people get a hold of you or learn more about uh, The Growth Coach? Yeah, they can uh, obviously, you know, go into uh, my Twitter at a, you know, at a pace. And, uh, you know, my website is uh, www.thegrowthcoachpnil.com. Uh, or my Facebook page at the Growth Coach uh, of uh, Plainfield and Naperville, and you know, shoot me a question or you know, get in contact with me. I'd love to you know share what we're doing and and um, you know help if I can because that's what it's all about. Andre, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate you uh, sharing uh, your opinions and uh, hopefully teaching us something new. Uh, thank you for having me, Chris. I really appreciate it. All right, up next we'll have Sean Utterback uh, who will join me after this quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. As a reminder, if you have a uh, question for my next guest, you can uh, send it to at PeopleG2 on Twitter. Just enter in that question. If there's room, add that uh, hashtag Talent Talker. As I heard someone say uh, pound the other day, which I'd forgotten we even used to call it a pound. Now it's a hashtag. So, um, Or even a number sign, a Talent Talk. So uh, up next here we have uh, Sean Utterback. He's the Chief Experience Officer for the Playing excuse me, the Play Storming Group. Uh, Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a, it's a pleasure to join you today. Uh, so tell everyone a little bit about yourself, uh, your company, and uh, what you're up to. Well, great. Thank you. So um, my name is Sean Utterback. I'm the Chief Experience Officer of the Play Storming Group, and we're located in Austin, Texas. However, we work globally. So Play Storming is really a collision between work and play, and it's, uh, we're a consulting network that uses 
experiential learning methods, including techniques from improvisational theater. And we do this to help people with communication, creativity, collaboration, and change. And uh, we're also part of a larger global network, a movement, really, that's called the Applied Improv Network, with close to about 5,000 practitioners over the last 10 years. And, and so, talk. what does a chief experience officer do? I mean, what, what does that mean to, to someone maybe who doesn't understand that, it doesn't have one of those in their company? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my role uh, is to create experiences and provide experiences for individuals and organizations. So um, just a little bit of background. I founded the Place Starting Group after 15 years as an advertising executive for some pretty high-profile agencies. Um, and so... Um, Outside of the company, my role is really to develop these experiences that I like to call sticky, right? So um, we don't want training or we don't want to be the training or team building flavor of the month. We want to create cultural shift and we want to teach organizations how to uh, make the skills that we use in improvisation uh, something that they practice daily uh, in their organization itself. And and, and this sort of use of, of, of play that you talked about or creative uh, experimental professional growth programs are, are being more and more popular. Well, can you maybe talk a little bit about what some of that is and why do you think it's becoming more popular? Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of it um, has to do with just people have short attention spans these days, especially in millennials. Now, that's not a knock on millennials at all, but it's an observation, and millennials being the largest uh, population of the workforce uh, now today. We're so fractured in our communications and, you know, we're always multitasking, although studies have shown that multitasking does not actually make you more productive. It makes you less productive. Um, but people basically, they don't want to sit through a boring PowerPoint presentation. Um, you know, we're, we're big believers of learning through experience, and there's a lot of research to show uh, and support this, and that experiential learning is uh, something that, again, I like to call sticky, something that stays with people um, Plato said that you can learn more about a person in an hour of play than you can in a lifetime of conversation. And Mr. Rogers also said that play is serious learning. So there's a lot of benefits to what we call play or improvisational play um, that you can bring into, uh, into the workplace uh, to help develop these different soft skills that uh, people are looking for. And that research has shown is really important for people to uh, succeed in an organization. So you also see things like gamification growing in popularity and, and those type of things. So I think people uh, not only want to um, engage in their training, but they also want to be entertained a little bit, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if you've ever read the book. I started thinking about some of these things, as you were mentioning, about the gamification. The, it's a book called Super Better by uh, Jay McGonigal. Um, but it's primarily about how gaming and, and gameplay can really help us build, become better people and better leaders, not to mention deal with illnesses or challenges in your life. Um, has your experience been the same you know, as people have you know, kind of critiqued what, you, what you're doing and, and, and maybe some parallels there? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the first thing I want to make clear, too, and when answering your question, is that there's improv that you see on stage as a performance, and then there's improvisation uh, or improvisational play, as I like to refer to it. Uh, and what that really is is that's freedom within structure. And so when you play, it requires you to do several things. It requires you to be present, to be in the moment. And that's really the key to communicating effectively and to, to engaging with others when you think about 
what you do when you play, when you play activities or games or with each other. It requires us to listen to each other, to, to understand and not just to respond. And most of us are conditioned just to listen enough to respond. And so we're in our head thinking about what we're going to say next while the other person is talking. And it's not really being present. So uh, improv is a practice that helps helps us uh, experience these skills and, and practice these skills. Um, play also requires us to, to adapt in the moment to what's happening around us. Um, every day we make choices based on things in our environment, um, things that get thrown our way that we didn't really uh, expect. So we're, we, we all actually improvise. We just don't always think about it as improvisation, but it's something that we do every day. And so uh, practicing these things that we do uh, when we play are useful. Uh, play also requires us to take risks even and even to enjoy failure somewhat to know that uh, if we make a mistake, it's okay. We can we can move forward and we can learn from that mistake. Uh, and, and the last part of play, I think, too, which is really important, is when you play, it requires you to say yes to the other person. And the idea of saying yes or yes and, as we refer to it in improv, uh, is really the, the, the bedrock of improvisation. Um, what it does is when you say yes to another person's idea, you, you validate that individual and you validate their idea. And when you can create that feeling of validation, uh, then employees are going to be more likely to engage uh, and to contribute. Well, very often in those kind of scenarios or other types of creative scenarios, get some of your best work when you're just not filtering yourself. Um, you know, you're letting some of those ideas that maybe you would normally push back down or right, things that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to come up. And so it sounds like some of the exercises that you're doing allow people to begin to remove some of those uh, inhibitions, those filters, those worries and anxieties that, you know, what they say is going to be stupid or no one's going to like it or, right. or what have you. And, and and if it's fun and they start to do it, then you can move it into more serious and more impactful topics to to, to then really get to some of those larger wins, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you a, an example of that. I mean, first and foremost, like when we come in and we play start with people, where it's not about them learning how to improvise as in performance. It's not about performance at all, but it is about these things. It's about being able to take risk and not uh, being afraid to fail or what other people think. You know, in the 15 years that I worked as an advertising executive, I was in so many brainstorming sessions and I would be in the room and then you have, you know, in that particular room you might have a copywriter and you might have a, uh, a strategic planner and an account planner and everybody has sort of their own agenda and somebody that they're looking out for. And so when they come together at the beginning of the process, especially to brainstorm and to ideate, what often happened is that people had already bulletproofed their ideas. They'd already thought about reasons why something wouldn't work. And they wouldn't really be listening for opportunities uh, to explore and discover. They were really mostly listening for opportunities to, to speak and to make sure that they got sort of their agenda across. And so what they found out in that situation over those 15 years is that it wasn't really, you know, brainstorming in general wasn't really beneficial to creativity and, and ideation and, and innovation. You know, you can always go back later uh, towards as you start to refine the process and then you can converge those ideas and then, uh, and then fine-tune them. But especially at the beginning of the process, it's really important to sort of have that open mindset versus that closed mindset and to really listen for opportunities uh, and really listen to other people and validate those ideas and then use those ideas to build upon. Again, it's a lot of it is about being present and being in the moment. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so I'm kind of wondering, you go in, you do some of these exercises with these companies, and uh, I'm assuming you have some success there. Um, and are, do you see any, you know, noticeable patterns or accomplishments or things, uh, you know, as these, after you've been there a year or two years or three years down the road, I mean, there's sort of a natural, you know, evolution for, for some of your clients to kind of reach new uh, new heights? Excuse me, yes, Um well, absolutely. So, again, uh, you know, improv is really a practice, and we go in and we talk about how we practice these skill sets. So the thing about training, uh, and especially when you're doing soft skills training, it can be hard to quantify uh, sometimes. But what we are seeing with clients is we're seeing we're actually seeing um, – lower attrition rates, we're seeing higher engagement, we're seeing, uh, you know, when we work with sales teams, we're seeing um, longer engagements with their clients because they're really refining their listening skills and their problem-solving skills and their ability to especially solve problems, uh, you know, unexpected problems in the moment. And again, a lot of that comes from them just really uh, listening to understand it and being present and then um, validating uh, their clients and what their needs are, as opposed as, as opposed to shutting them down and you know saying we can't do this. It's like, well, yes, I hear what you're saying, and then you know let's work together, let's collaborate, let's see if we can find a way uh, to to make this work for us. So so we're seeing a lot of that, um, and then even on the creativity side, you know, just just a lot of the workshops we see uh, people coming out there with just um, taking more risk when it comes to uh, exploring creative ideas and innovation. And, you know, I don't have to tell people, but, yeah, I mean, if you look at any great invention or or contribution to society or our culture, um, it didn't get there without first having gone through some steps of, of failure. So, so yeah, we're seeing that kind of impact in the organizations that we work with. And um, part of the, I guess, uh, proof in the pudding with that is, if you will, is that we're um, – the long-term engagement with people um, and having us come in and teaching them how to practice this. And right. then even after we leave, so we, again, we don't want to be like the flavor of the month or the, you know, the team building of the month. We'll come in and we'll work with a group, but then, you know, we'll stay engaged with them even after we leave the building and we'll send them reminders and, you know, here's some things that your management team can do uh, to, um, to solidify the training that they just went through and, you know, kind of check in with them and, and then, uh, you know, uh, we're into building relationships and seeing what, uh, how we can collaborate and engage with them to solve the problems that they have. Right. Well, to build on kind of what you're talking about, I remember seeing on your LinkedIn profile that, you know, that your, your company really is uh, trying to increase employee engagement and shift your, the culture from ambivalence to ownership. And that's yeah. something that more and more companies are moving towards and really understanding that this is really important, that, you know, kind of having that level of transparency, um, having engaged employees uh, who really feel that they own part of what they do, they own uh, some part of what the organization is responsible for, um, and, and to what the overall what the company is doing. So, how do you see this really taking shape? Uh, you know, as you work with companies, is it this a chance for them to? To work together creatively is this, is it the unfiltering of ideas and you know, kind of getting that the exchange going? I mean, where's where's sort of that spark come from? Yeah, I think again, it's it's rooted in the validation of the ideas and the people that are behind the ideas. So, 
so again, this idea of saying yes and, it's a very useful practice in the workplace. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, when, when you shut somebody down, they themselves shut down and they fail to engage. And, you know, when you allow, uh, when you allow them to contribute uh, and share ownership of ideas, uh, then they're more likely to engage. And then, and then they become something bigger than themselves. And so that, that idea of um, having ownership, I think, comes from feeling like they can make a contribution in the workplace, like their ideas are being validated. You know, even if people don't agree necessarily with each other, just the practice of validating that idea and saying, yes, I, I hear that idea, and then building on that just really goes a long way in making people feel like, you know, they can take those risks or they can make those contributions and uh, feel like if their idea fails, so to speak, that it's okay because they still have that platform to continue to push and to innovate and to grow and to engage. And so, again, I really think it comes down to, to that that concept. Well, the, the, the concept you're talking about of yes is so powerful. Um, it's something I've had in a few of my uh, different talks for a very long time. Um, finding ways to say yes as many times. I mean, if you can do it all day long, as wherever you are as a manager, yes and is fantastic. Sometimes all you can get away with is yes but, um, which is not the best one. But you know, sometimes it's all you can do. Um, yeah. But it's still better yes, yes, than no. Actually, well, uh, well, yes but is actually a no if you think about it. So I think one thing to clarify, and it's something that I learned. So I've been teaching and performing improv for um, over twenty years outside of of what I do in training. And when I first learned the concept of yes and, what I thought that it meant was that I had to agree with everybody. That if someone said something to me or if someone made an offer to me, which we talk in improv a lot about offers, how everything is an offer, but if someone said something to me that I had to say yes, meaning I had to agree. And I had a problem with that because it made me feel like a yes man. But the difference in agreeing with somebody versus accepting and validating it may sound like semantics but there's a there's a difference there because you can someone can offer you an idea and you may not you know initially like the idea it may go against your grain of thinking or whatever if you say yes but you're still shutting that idea down and you're you're still saying no but if you say yes and in the context of yes and i hear what you're saying and your uh contribution to this conversation and to this you know, brainstorming or whatever we're doing is a valid contribution, and therefore you're a valid person uh, in in this contribution. So let's keep going. Let's keep making those contributions. Let's keep making those offers, and through that process, we'll get somewhere, and we'll you know uh, converge, diverge, and emerge. You know, so we'll bring those ideas together, and we'll define them, and then we'll come out with something where we all have a sense of ownership, where we all have an opportunity uh, to build something. So it's like you bring a brick and I bring a brick and together we build something. So uh, hopefully I'm able to articulate that clearly, but the, the difference between the sort of yes and as a yes man saying I, I'm just going to blindly agree versus yes and as in yes, I hear you and I validate you and your offer um, is different. Is there an assumption there that what the person is contributing is you know, uh, ethical and legal and, you know, what do you do when it's something just completely, you know, against anything you would do or the company would do? Because all the situations where people do make 
sort of ridiculous suggestions and want to do things that you wouldn't ever morally do. Uh, yeah. Well, how, how do you validate that stuff? <laughs> well, so <laughs> that's a good point, but I think context is important in the situation. So uh, it depends on the context of the situation and when that kind of offer is made. Um, but I will tell you, you know, I do a lot of workshops on conflict resolution. And so um, even in conflict resolution, when you're having a disagreement with somebody, if you can just take a step back and once again say yes in the form of, you know, uh, I hear what you're saying and, you know, validate that person's contribution. It can go a long way to sort of diffusing that conflict. Obviously, there are situations in the workplace where if they're, you know, um, outside, you know, outside of the context of communication or team building or, you know, creativity or ideation, and then there are things that are just, um, you know, outright against company policy or common sense or whatever, then that's certainly a, a situation where, um, Again, you know, improv gives us this freedom uh, within a framework. So, you know, you stay within that framework and it works. If you go outside of that framework, you know, obviously if somebody's, um, you know, harassing you in the workplace or, or doing something illegal or morally questionable, that kind of, kind of uh, ventures outside of the framework that we're talking about. Sure, sure. Did I wiggle my way out of that one? I think you did. I think you did. I mean, that's <laughs> that's usually the ones I save the butt for. You know, I've, we've, I've had people say, well, why don't we right. sell this? And I'll say, yes, but you're going to need to get the governor to change the law, and then we can do it. You know, that, that would be my well, butt. Well, you, you, you could always say yes, and let's explore how we can lobby the Congress or the governor or whoever to, to, to hear our idea kind of thing. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Well, I'm wondering, uh, you know, we've a lot of great ideas here today, and I'm sure you must do a fair amount of reading. So is there a great book that our listeners should think about picking up here, uh, maybe while they have a little extra time for the holidays? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so um, I, I do a lot of reading uh, research papers and um, just, you know, uh, trade publications just to try to make sure that we're, uh, you know, an SME on a lot of various things. I mean, come and apply, uh, apply these skills to a lot of different areas. But uh, um, a really great book that I would recommend for, for people to read is actually uh, uh, a book by uh, a colleague of mine. Her name is uh, Jessie uh, uh, Sternschus, and she wrote a book called Control Shift, 50 Games for 50 Asterisk ING Days Like Today fill in the blank and figure that out but control shift 50 games for 50 blank days like today and it's a great uh, little book that you're going to have handy in your office what it is is it just gives you a lot of different scenarios uh, and different activities and games that you can easily facilitate yourself uh, in in the workplace for uh, you know problem solving communications uh, things like that it's, it's very um fun book. Uh, you'll laugh when you read it, but you'll find that uh, there's a lot of applications to those exercises that are in the publication. And what was the author's name again? Yeah, her name is uh, Jessie Sternschuss. Uh, S-H-T-E-R-N-S-H-U-S. Jessie, J-E-S-S-I-E. I'm glad you spelled it because I wouldn't have. I wouldn't even have had a. I mean, I could have gotten the first letters right. That was about it. So that's okay. It took me uh, three years after knowing Jesse and being her friend to say her name correctly. So. Yeah, <laughs> but I have last name of Utterback, so you know, <laughs> can't say anything. Uh, but yeah, she's fantastic. She has a company called The Improv Effect in Florida, and uh, she just published this book uh, a couple months ago. It's fantastic. So you can how- find it on Amazon or. 
yeah, all the major outlets and, and places, I'm sure. So, mm-hmm. uh, so how can people get a hold of you and learn more about uh, your company if they need a little help, uh, especially through the uh, in the improv uh, type of help? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we do everything from uh, uh, kickoff meetings, uh, icebreakers, to coming in and doing uh, workshops from everything from um, user design, storytelling, to sales training, to leadership development. Our website is www.play-storming, S-T-O-R-M-I-N-G. They can contact us at info at playstorming, P-L-A-Y-S-T-O-R-M-I-N-G, dot com. And they can also follow us on Twitter, uh, much easier. Uh, it's just at GoPlayStorm. Well, sounds like a lot of great places that uh, they can check out. Don't forget, we'll list all of these things on our blog, on the website, on a full recap, all the books, all the suggestions, all the uh, the links to the different places. So, But, Sean, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really enjoyed learning more about what your company's doing, and I love, I love all this kind of stuff. We kind of go, taking a different direction, a more creative direction to, to get our people thinking and talking and working well together. Well, thank you so much. It was a great pleasure for me. Uh, next Tuesday will be our last show of 2015. Um, I guess uh, then will be uh, Susan uh, Steinbercher. She's CEO of uh, St- uh, Steinbercher & Associates. I'm probably saying that wrong. And uh, Terry uh, Burns, Vice President of Total Service uh, for uh, Caesars Entertainment. Had the pleasure of meeting him uh, well, a few months back in New York. He's got a fantastic uh, way in which he... Uh, deals with uh, employee engagement and uh, motivation. So a little bit different than what we actually talk about on the show. So definitely one to check out. Uh, look forward to having you guys send your questions next week. But until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2.